I know my generation is, was super thankful to even have a job. And I think that today's uh, workers, even though they treat it like a job, they also know they're worth so much more. Um, and so they can demand more and they can ask for more. And I think that that's the shift in what we call future of work. As Bridget Lau described her many career transitions, she kept using the same phrase. Over and over, she told me that she fell forward. Her story begins as the daughter of a hardworking immigrant family who chose Waterloo's computer engineering program because, well, she knew it would get her a job. And where does that journey lead? Today, she's a mother, poker player, and co-founder of venture capital firm Firework Ventures. Talk about moving forward. But Bridget didn't necessarily set out to become a startup investor. As she explained each step of her career, I understood her phrasing more. She is undoubtedly talented, very hardworking, and she also fell into a lot of really great opportunities along the way. Firework Ventures is clearly inspired by her journey. Through Firework, Bridget invests in companies who want to build better opportunities for people, all people, because you shouldn't have to rely on falling forward to get a fulfilling job and life. Today, Bridget joins the podcast to talk about her career and her hopes for the future of work. Keep listening. Okay. All right. And we're recording. Bridget, thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Um, When we spoke... Uh, a couple weeks ago, I kept thinking about how a lot of young people have this idea that they need to choose a career path that they're passionate about. You know, it's that thing, if you choose something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. But I don't think that's the only way to end up with a job you enjoy. Um, And when you chose computer engineering, you had a lot of good reasons for it, but passion wasn't necessarily one of them. You weren't super passionate about coding or hardware. Can you tell me more about the reasons for that decision? Absolutely. I think I'd like to start with just, you know, sharing my story. So my parents immigrated from Hong Kong when I was three months old and we moved to Canada. And so growing up, I knew my parents had made a lot of sacrifices for both me and my sister to move to Canada. And I'm pretty sure that when I was growing up, it was a constant reminder. (laughs) So I think it was part of my programming. Um, And it was really important for me to make my parents proud for everything that they, they did for me, uh, for me and my sister to have a better life in Canada. So I did grow up middle class. uh, And I do remember that the single goal I had after graduating high school was just to get a job. My, My dad was a computer analyst for the government. And my mom was a nurse. And I knew my parents weren't in a position to pay for my education. And I also knew that I was pretty much on my own um, after high school or college. Uh, and I, my parents love me deeply and they care for me deeply. But I also felt that I could not be a strain on their resources after high school. So, you know, that story, I think that if that was the set of information that I knew at that time, And given all those constraints and knowledge, you just make a different set of decisions. And I'm pretty sure that when I was growing up, I had thought um, that being employed in a job or career that you love was just a luxury. And it was most likely not something that was accessible to me. 
So when I chose computer engineering, it was mainly because all the signs were pointing in that direction. Um, I had a set of grades that um, made me eligible for the program and I had a high probability of getting in. And so I'm pretty sure I just said to myself, okay, great. I'll just, I'll just do it. What the heck? (laughs) It was a good program. I had a good chance of getting in. Um, And at the time I had two choices to make. I had, uh, I I was accepted to both University of Waterloo and Toronto. Um, Mm -hmm. However, with Toronto, um, I was on the waiting list for a scholarship, whereas for Waterloo, I was granted a scholarship. Uh, So that guarantee plus the idea of moving out of my parents' home was very enticing um, because the reality is if, if all things were equal, I most likely would have chosen the University of Toronto because I could have lived at home mm-hmm. and it would have been a lot more affordable for me. And I think for Waterloo, the added bonus was, of course, the po- co-op program. Uh, I already knew that there were resources available for me to help me find a job and to pay for college. So while I wish I could say that I did all the research into the, all the best programs in computer engineering where I was compa- uh, compassionate about computers. Um, mm. That just wasn't true. And I think the opportunity just presented itself and I took it. And, you know, the reality is I see a lot of kids today, they're already discussing college options while still in grade school. And it blows my mind. And clearly parental knowledge is passed on to their kids and not everyone is so lucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you uh, you spoke a bit about that uh, when we met before, and it, it really resonated with me as someone who has uh, parents who did not go to university either. Um, it's, um, you know, th- there really are certain privileges that you don't think about uh, that come with that. And that knowledge of different programs and just what university life is, um, yeah, is is so valuable, but, uh, you're a great example of someone who chose a program to get a job and then ended up really enjoying it. And like many computer engineering grads, you moved to Silicon Valley and you became (laughs) a software developer, which you, uh, really enjoyed. But after a few years, you realized that it wasn't exactly the ladder you wanted to climb. It eventually led you into, um, venture capital, um, stuff, but what, what brought you to that realization about software development? Yeah, well, I think my personality, I think engineering teaches you to be very analytical or I was Mm -hmm. always analytical or very practical. So ultimately engineering was a very good fit for me in the end. Mm -hmm. And I really did love to code and solve problems. Um, I realized that this was not the ladder I wanted to climb over time. And I, lot of, I think a lot of this was um, uh, like subconscious, I would say. I think like looking back, I would say that the people around me uh, who were getting promoted were male. I think mm-hmm. I know I didn't have the same kind of relationship with my manager as many of my peers. Um, I think they had a much more buddy-buddy relationship, whereas I felt like I, would, I just worked for them. And so I think that skews um, your feeling of belonging in, in, in the workplace. And also my peers did a lot of extracurricular like work activities, like they coded for fun or they joined a lot of meetups. Uh, they would have all these discussions where technology was going. And I ultimately treated it like a job and 
So whether that was a hindrance to me, I just ultimately did not feel like I belonged. Um, I didn't live and breathe technology or code. And so I ultimately, ultimately did not believe I had a place on this career path. But truly, I envy the women who did stay and uh, went on to be technical leaders. I think I could have over time realized that I could have exacted change within my role, which I didn't believe I could before. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I just left. Um, I ended up uh, going to business school uh, at Georgetown uh, with the sole goal of thinking about a career change or moving into a new direction. I also think that coding uh, sometimes can be a very lonely job. Like it's it's the job that you can, they can lock you in a closet and throw away the key. <laughs> sometimes it's fun and sometimes you know it's pretty lonely Uh, but Mm -hmm. you do end up interacting with uh, you know your your core team just a few people Um, there was also very little opportunity to train or learn to be a good manager in startup land uh, which is where I spent my early years um, or even move up in your career so I had just assumed that I had to go to business school if I wanted an advancement or a change in career But looking back, I could absolutely say I was so naive, Um, you know, but in startup land, it was there was no talk about career advancement and it was just build code and launch, rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that was my experience. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that it speaks to uh, uh, a trend that we're seeing, especially amongst Gen Z now, where, um, you know, they're okay with treating a job like a job. Um, I think that uh, there was a period of time where uh, as a new grad who didn't have kids yet or, you know, hadn't started a family yet or have other obligations yet, uh, at certain companies, there's maybe an expectation that you could devote more of your time, not even necessarily to the company, but just to your career advancement in general. Um, And, uh, you know, I, I... I hear what you're saying. And I think that younger people today would uh, for sure resonate with that as well. So you went to business school and like we said, um, you ended up getting into venture capital. And to me, all of these decisions uh, that we've talked about so far, they feel really connected to your current firm, uh, Firework Uh Ventures where you're investing in startups that are building a more human-centered future of work. Mm-hmm. How did these experiences influence the creation of Firework? And maybe you can talk a little bit about how your investments are helping to create better opportunities for people too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and just to touch on the point of um, you know my relationship with work, I, I know my generation is, was super thankful to even have a job. And mm-hmm. I think that Today's uh, workers, even though they treat it like a job, they also know their worth so much more. Um, and so they can demand more and they can ask for more. And I think that that's the shift in what we call future of work. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely believe, you know, my lived experience has really informed me in, in the types of investments that we make here at Firework Ventures. Um You know, I also believe that my life experience has provided me with a level of empathy that helps me see which technology companies might be able to truly help the worker, the average worker, and thus really create agency and autonomy for a more productive 
you know, society. And I know we thrive when we believe we are captains of our own ship. And, you know, it's my belief that it's, it's our, our basic right to pursue this. Um, I think all of these experiences also um, verify, validate that, you know, for, for myself, the way I want to operate is honest and transparent communication because it's my belief that it really fosters a positive and healthy culture. And it also allows for people to make the best decisions for themselves and uh, by providing them with as much information as possible, um, they can, you know, choose the best choices for them. Um, let's see, I'm happy to kind of walk through uh, our key thesis, uh, which, is, which is what drives our investments here. Um, yeah, we see great. a lot of key. Uh, we see a lot of key trends that's happening between, you know, the workforce and technology. So at Firework, we define the future of work as technology that's creating access and opportunity, driving economic and social mobility with work at the center. And we know this is a, a enormous and growing market opportunity. And we've actually sized this at four trillion dollars. Um, so we know technology is advancing, but it cannot solve all problems. So automation is eliminating, eliminating work. Um, the amount of time spent on work by humans and machines is ex expected to be equal by 2025. But it's also creating space for humans, us, you know, workers to refocus on higher value work. Um, you know, the top skills demanded by employers include critical thinking, problem solving, resilience, flexibility, which really requires significant reskilling and upskilling for more than a billion people um, by 2030. And so, like, if we really think about, um, you know, the relationship between technology and people, there truly is a cohort of people that also believe that technology is leaving them behind. And I feel it's our responsibility as technologists to show and invest in companies that bust that myth. Um, we also know that technology advancement for the first time in history is actually contributing to inequality. So I know I went to school in Canada. I live in the U.S. now, <laughs> but so I'll, I'll speak in that context. But most Americans now are not sharing in the tremendous growth uh, of the U.S. economy. And the U.S. national income grew by 60 percent between 1979 and 2016, whereas during this time, the bottom half of the income distribution saw 22 percent increases in wages, while the top 10 percent saw 100 percent increases in wages. So that gap um, absolutely needs to be addressed. And while technology has exacerbated, we can also focus on technology that closes that gap as well. I also think that um, those most affected by this disparity, as I mentioned, feel left behind by technology at large. So the American dream does not exist for everyone anymore. Before, you know, when I was growing up, I remember even in Canada, it was like the dream, right? Whereas 44% of Americans are employed in low wage, low wage jobs and the majority, 60% are unable to move into a job with a median salary above the low wage threshold in five years. So without thoughtful investment technology, advancement could really exacerbate inequality further. So, you know, historic data shows that the likelihood for an American to out earn their parents is eroding. So if you were born in 1940, 
you had a 93% 93 chance of making more than your parents. That sounds awesome, right? <laughs> but uh, now yeah. you... <laughs> it doesn't feel, uh, yeah, that number feels way too high uh, to me, though, as a millennial. <laughs> exactly. So if you're born in the 1980s, you only have a 43% chance to mm. out earn your parents by the time you're 30. So this data is basically showing that it's becoming harder and harder to achieve this dream. And harder it is to achieve this dream, it just will it'll erode our hope uh, for us to have a better future, which mm-hmm. I, I believe will ultimately destabilize a society. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, you know, COVID has really accelerated a lot of these trends. We're seeing the pandemic catalyze a shift on how people think about work. Um, I think COVID has really highlighted um, many, many things um, in the ways in the way that we want to conduct our lives, right? So 30, 36% of the US workforce engage in freelance work in 2020. And 76% of workers desire flexibility around where they work. And 93% desire flexibility around when they work. And we're seeing this as a continued impact on impact on the great resignation. Mm-hmm. So all these changes are just really making us rethink how we want to live and work and conduct our lives. Um, so I can walk into a few investments because, because it's such a grand kind of concept and thesis. There isn't one solution fits all. And I'm going to find one company mm-hmm. that, that solves this all. Um, but there's many things that need to be touched on. And so it's like, basically finding each company that fills each hole one by one. And so, for example, um, LearnIn is one of our, our, our uh, early investments. LearnIn is helping uh, redefine how companies address skills gap by tackling the largest barriers to upskilling, which is time, money, and access to quality programs. So when companies are unable to prioritize skills trading, these barriers become a source of inequity. So individuals who can afford to pay tuition and take time outside of their work to attend training programs will have greater access to promotion. So so even with that statement, you'll notice that caregivers, you know, people who have to stay at home to take care of uh, elderly or their kids don't have the same opportunities for promotion or to invest in themselves. So companies are really facing these skills gap and they have normally relied on hiring and firing their their way out of this problem. But given now that we're in a very tight labor market and and it's only going to accelerate, um, companies and enterprises need to rethink that. Uh, And so the the customers of LearnIn are choosing LearnIn to help them solve that problem. to allow companies to find new ways to upskill their their talent internally. It makes so much sense when employers are, um, you know, they're vying for talent now and they're vying for people. And that is a potential differentiator that they will offer you upskilling. Yeah, uh, workers today really value growth, personal growth mm-hmm. and, and training uh, as a benefit. So it's not just compensation. And I think they want to work 
for organizations and employers who believe that and care mm-hmm. for them. Uh, because this hiring and firing mentality that existed in the past is just so capitalistic and so cold. And like, if we don't need you anymore, we're going to fire you. And, and, what, and I don't know if you've ever been fired. I have. And it is such a terrible experience. You feel yeah. completely rejected. You feel like you're worthless sometimes, depending on how old you are. Yeah, totally. Yes, I have had this experience. And it's terrible. It's terrible. And it's ruthless, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't need you anymore. So we're just going to stop paying you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. When we have to pay rent and put food on the table and pay for so many things. It just is a very jarring experience. Um, So to work for people who, who invest in your career growth and your goals and your dreams is, is is a much more uh, feels like a much more worthy decision. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So learn is awesome. Uh, They fall under our mobility category, uh, mostly because we think about uh, internal internal mobility as a very important part of Mm. uh, future of work. Um, We also invested in a company called Tilt. Tilt is amazing. It's one of my favorite companies besides all of them. But I do have to say this is this is special because it is an inclusive leave management solution for every life-changing moment. So I worked at IBM. I remember choosing specifically IBM because I thought at the time that it had great um, benefits for when I was going to start having children. And I thought there was security there. And I thought there was like a mentality that was supportive of, you know, a new mother. I mean, the, the Mm -hmm. truth is it's not exactly (laughs) true. (laughs) I'm not, I, I, because I think I didn't realize that you could still, you know, you could still be let go while you Mm -hmm. were on maternity leave. So there's so, so many rules. Um, but they also lead you to believe a bunch of things that aren't always true. But I think it is a vulnerable time when you're a first mother, a first time mother. And so I think it was my view to like, look for a company that was supportive in that way. So Tilt is specific for, um, you know, leave management. It's a critical component for setting employees up for success. The reality is without access to workplace leave, uh, workers, generally women, underrepresented minorities and caregivers are generally held back from reaching their full career potential. I believe Jen's story is, um, who's the CEO of Tilt, when she went on her maternity leave, when her promotion was actually rescinded. Um, and so there's all these terrible things that can happen to when you're in a very vulnerable position and and it's her mission to go fix that um yeah yeah I can't imagine especially when you know if you're having a child and you are counting on that promotion (laughs) probably right uh that's wild but also time to bond Mm. with your your new family your baby I mean, the reality is we are having kids also, not just for ourselves, but for society, right? There's this, there's this expectation to like, you know, to continue to produce the workers of the future, right? Like if no one had kids, like our economy would fail. So yeah. 
it is a vested interest for all of society, for both employers and, you know, uh, the government to support new mothers. But it's not, it's actually not true right now. I don't want to say it's not true. It's not, there's more things that we can do to support new mothers um, Mm -hmm. because we ultimately all will benefit from it. Um, So I don't want (laughs) to... No, anyways, I think companies are doing great, but they can all do better. That's what I would say. Um, So I would say also that technology advancements, especially, uh, you know, robotics and automation present an opportunity for, um, you know, for workers to also focus on higher value tasks that Mm -hmm. leverage uniquely human skills. And so tilt. Uh, simplifies the process of managing employee leaves of absence and reduces compliance risks uh, associated with adhering to the ever-changing regulatory landscape. So as you know, in the U.S., every state has its own set of rules to abide by. And now that remote work has really um, accelerated for many organizations, uh, using products like tilt would solve a lot of issues so instead of them figuring it out for every state they can just use tilt who's already Mm -hmm. figured it out um, for their employees and right now approximately 10 percent of the workforce takes leave on an annual basis and so it could be Mm -hmm. anything from maternity to mental health bereavement and things Mm -hmm. like that yeah that's really interesting and i can i mean yeah you point to the states but um yeah, in Canada, we also have uh, not everything is federally reg- regulated, right? Uh, the provinces right. also have their own um, different rules. So, yeah, that I can completely see how useful that would be. Cool. Yep. yep. I've got two more companies. So yeah, the next one it. is <laughs> the next one is Transfer. Uh, Transfer's mission is to become the world's first SaaS economic development platform, and this company mm. is leveraging VR technology to train individuals for middle skills jobs. So middle skills requires uh, some post-secondary training, but not a four-year degree. And these really make up more than 50% of the jobs in the US and offer, uh, you know, livable wages and a lot of opportunities for advancement. So this is, you know, warehouse manufacturing, automotive repair, technicians, healthcare is a growing, uh, category and is middle skills. And so, um, it, it, in my mind, it is such a big opportunity, mostly because VR also is, has such incredible results in terms of efficacy and training. Uh, so transfer helps develop some of the content for the, this massive category in terms of jobs. Uh, so transfer plugs into local ecosystems as well, partnering with community colleges, workforce development boards, and local employers to build strong classroom to career pipelines. Mm. So I love that one too, because I feel like venture has also not, uh, has, has really focused on knowledge workers and, and, um, and so by being able to invest venture dollars into a different segment of the market to me is really interesting. Yeah, in, in for my sure. Mind, a huge opportunity. Yeah, a, totally a huge opportunity. You can, I mean, you just named a few different fields uh, where it would be applicable, but I'm sure there are, are tons more. Yeah. 
And then lastly is Stride Funding. Uh, Stride Funding is is creating a broader and more equitable access to capital, starting with outcomes-based student financing. So access to capital has generally been a key barrier in uh, economic and social social mobility. There's nearly $1.8 trillion in student debt in the US. And this is a debt category that is second only to mortgages in the U.S. And a large portion of this debt comes from students who complete programs that don't have a clear ROI um, Mm. or from students who start programs but never complete them. So Stride brings transparency to education financing, helping students understand the ROI of their different programs. So Stride really offers financing um, options to programs that have a very defined um, kind of like 95% of their students have get jobs. Um, and so they have that data to support and provide, uh, you know, broader access to, to their financing products. Um, the team has developed a very innovative underwriting mechanism in order to help students who generally might not have been able to access this credit to pay for skills training. So the program, like I mentioned, like the programs that they work with generally have, uh, you know, you know, they're basically funnels into, into new job categories and, and employers who are hiring. Yeah. And also tackling another huge issue for, yeah. <laughs> for young people who are just starting their careers uh, or, people who uh, are a few years out as well, or a lot of years out. There's a lot of student debt around. I know. (laughs) School's expensive. Uh, Those are all really interesting and such a wide range of companies that are really tackling this idea of what the future workforce is and could be and should, and the way that they should be treated. Um. I love all of those examples uh, and really touches so many different industries um, and so many different levels of work and employment. So um, investing in these startups and being part of Firework Ventures also means that you sit on a number of these boards. And I'd love to talk a little more about your role as a member of of, um, the different boards of directors that you're on. What value do you hope to bring when you're advising CEOs of these young companies? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I think we have, uh, I don't think it's a different view, but I feel like we are, Firework is trying to, in a sense, productize what we believe is important in every organization. So we do take an active role in our companies uh, and we really have four key portfolio services. It's really around coaching, collaboration, culture, and capital. So for for coaching, you know, we pair founders and co-founders with management coaches to help them thrive in their roles um, as the company rapidly grows. So generally when we're investing in the Series A, founders are building their teams from, you know, 15 to 20 people to like 60 to 100 individuals. And that is, that is a time of rapid growth, and it's also a time when the role of the CEO changes as well. Mm-hmm. So by providing, uh, you know, the benefits of coaching for founders is, is really to help them 
in a sense, get out of their own way. Um, you know, we, I know, I know the benefit of coaching cause I I've done coaching myself. Um, I also, uh, Ashley and I, Ashley is my, uh, co-founder. Uh, we also have coaching sessions with ourselves, um, as a way to help us grow and build a really strong, uh, healthy culture. And we really do believe that coaching is a critical element to the series A, uh, especially when the founders have uh, found product market fit and are, are challenged to de-risk and accelerate growth. Um, and then there's also collaboration where we work hand in hand with CEOs to help them recruit the best talent, source potential customers, and also develop thought leadership um, among other elements of helping them build their business. Uh, we do have a deep um, network of advisors and, and long-term experts, and, and we have category expertise in the future of work. So uh, mm-hmm. we do try to give the best advice as possible. Uh, and we have lots of years of experience working with companies of all stages um, and include, we have advisors, including Adam Grant, former secretary, Arnie Duncan, and many more. Wow. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then culture is a really important part of Firework Ventures. We truly believe in a healthy culture, but we also know it takes hard work to develop it, foster it and uh, nurture it. So. Um, we, do, we also believe that culture is a key tool for um, strategy execution, and we help our companies define and solidify their culture. So our mm-hmm. CEOs work with um, Kelly Palmer, who is Chief Learning and Talent Officer at Degreed, and also formerly at LinkedIn, on all things culture, both building and executing the right culture, as well as talent strategy. And wow. lastly, yeah, no, she's fantastic, and you know we're so lucky to have her. Um, on board. And then lastly, there's capital. I think uh, in venture, you know, raising money is such an important part of the health of any company and any startup. So we also support our founders by um, helping them, you know, working with them to capitalize their business beyond uh, the Series A. Uh, And we work closely with them to determine, you know, the right time and strategy to raise growth capital. And then we also connect them with mission aligned sources of capital. So many of our founders also appreciate diversity at the board level. Um, For them, this prevents groupthink and it really provides them a set of diverse perspectives to help them make the best decisions for their companies. We also, what I find that, uh, you know, a value add is because we focus on culture, we also bring it up at the board level. And so that, is always a topic of conversation. And I think, um, you know, our founders are aligned um, with that and it enables them to, you know, highlight the importance of that and prioritize that for their companies. Mm-hmm. It also reflects, uh, you know, the direction that uh, that the workplace is going. And, and like many, uh, we all believe in leading by example. Yeah, of course. Uh, those are all a really comprehensive um, approach, something that, um, stands out to me that I think most people don't associate with boards is the direction on culture. Um, you know, I think that it's, I think a lot of people have a view that, you know, it's all about getting that money out of your investments. Um, but also providing insight and advisement on, on culture. You can see how, 
that is only going to help a company, right? Yeah. 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 And help and help your investment grow. Uh, this has been great, Bridget. Thank you so much for joining the podcast and for sharing a little bit about your story and also what you are doing now with Firework. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and asking such great questions. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow, subscribe, like, whatever your podcast player lets you do. And hey, if you want to meet more alumni, check out the latest issue of Waterloo Magazine. Inside, you can find articles and videos about the future of talent, including a story about Bridget's firm, Firework Ventures. There's a link to that article in this episode description. Uncharted, Warriors in the World is produced and hosted by me, Meg Vanderwood. Aju Chow is our editor. Aju and I are both alumni and staff at the University of Waterloo.